0: All right, so we are continuing how to study uh, the Bible. And one thing that we're talking about right now is just uh, kind of the discipline of observation. Okay, so when I say observation, what do I mean by that? When we observe the text, what are we trying to do? What's the difference between an observation and an interpretation?
1: It's kind of asking the question, what does the text
2: say?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think Joshua Smith had a really good point that you can't argue with an observation. You can argue with an interpretation. You can argue with an application. But you can't argue, argue with, a, with an observation. Now, why is it important that you, that you go through this discipline of just observing what the text says? why are people, why, do, why might people kind of struggle to do that sometimes? Yes, Will. Maybe preconceived ideas? Yeah, a lot of times there's preconceived ideas um, that might be in some debate, theology debate, they want to prove their point. A lot of times we want to bend the Bible to our will instead of bending our will to the Bible's will. Does that make sense? And so what observation does is it forces us to reckon with the text as it stands and do what we call exegesis. Now, do you guys know the difference between exegesis and eisegesis? Okay, you think exegesis like exit, right? Exit is where you go out of the building, right? So that's where the meaning comes out of the text. Eisegesis is when you read meaning into the text. You make it say what you want it to say. And we've all known people have been guilty of doing that, right? And so one thing with observation is if you have a, like a high view of the authority of Scripture, it's important that we see ourselves as servants to Scripture, that we are under what it says. Does that make sense? And so we gave some examples of biblical observation. Um, Matthew 22, 31-32, but regarding the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read of what is spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Um, this is in the context where Jesus is addressing the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead because they only believed in the authority of the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, And so he's making an example from Moses and the burning bush. Well, what observation is he making here? What does he observe? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Will, you seem to be the life seems to be going on. I am that I am. I am that I am, yeah. And that's one phrase, right? But notice the tense. Present. It's the present, right? Present. And so, if the present tense, how how would that impact its interpretation? <coughs> Not only does it say that you know he's there, but they're still around, right? He still is their God. He it's wasn't their
3: God. It's nice that he you, know, you get the the very end. He kind of explains why that's important. Right? Yeah. he's giving his he gives his mm-hmm. interpretation after his observation. He says he's saying I am, and why is that significant? Because that shows he's. Yeah, The living out of the dead.
0: Yeah, and here's another one that he does. He said to them, Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put the enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And so he's making a, a claim to the divinity of the Messiah, right? The Lord calls him Lord, right? That's the observation he makes. And... It basically says you can't get up tight when some people want to make claims to divinity because you see it right here. Um, in Galatians 3.16, and the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather one. And to your seed, that is Christ. Right, so notice the observation that he makes. Notice how he compares seed and seeds, Right? Singular and plural. Singular and plural. And how does that bear the interpretation? What bearing does that have the the interpretation? The
4: The promise of an individual about the individual.
0: Yeah. So those are just some examples. So Jesus, he observes the text and then he comes to his conclusion. Do you see that? So this is all kind of review. Now we kind of talked about one thing to do to observe the text that can kind of help you do it is to um, look it up in different translations, okay? And so I brought up these things side by side. If you guys ever use Blue Letter Bible, um, they will allow you to do that. Um, I use the New American Standard, the New International Version, the New King James Version. Um, But you can choose whichever one uh, you want. Don't use the message, though. That doesn't count as a translation, just so you know. But it says, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. First, the New International Version says, for Ezra had devoted himself to study the and observance of the law and to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. And then for Ezra I prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So, when you look at this, right, um, do you see any major differences between the two? Talked a little bit about this last week, so you can go ahead and draw upon your notes.
3: We you talked about how the NIV uses "devoted himself" instead of the yeah. "setting his
0: heart" or yeah. "preparing his heart." Yeah, so devoted versus setting his heart, okay. Other things? There's kind of a significant difference between the NIV and the New American Standard version.
4: I think the previous week you mentioned that there are sort of three activities in the New American Standard and two in the, the International. So in ESB yeah. it's to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach its statutes. Mm-hmm. And then NIV is to study and observe the law of the Lord, which is one, and to teach us decrees. decrees. Yeah. So you kind of see that by the placement of the comma, right? So
0: those are, you know, so that would be like an example of, so you pay attention not to just different words, but even some of the grammatical uh, differences, which come out in the English. Okay, so... When you kind of look at, um, you know, the, the, I kind of go, when I, when I study a text, normally I will compare four or five different translations. Then what I do is I kind of discipline myself to make actual observations about the text. And so, kind of starting off, I, I list, you know, what does the text say, okay? <coughs> So I pick a version and I write down what it says for sure. So a lot of times I go to the ESV, that's what I preach out of, that's kind of my base one. But as I go through it initially, like if you can translate it, you translate it. And then you might make little notes about some of the differences between the text. And I found that that's really helpful to kind of sharpen my thinking, to pay attention to things because I kind of know what the translators are discussing. So these are just seven translate, you know, seven observations. I'm just saying this is just what it says, okay? Ezra is the subject of the sentence. Uh, the main verb of the sentence is set his heart. The main verb set his heart is modified by three infinitive phrases, to study the law of the Lord, to practice it and to teach his statutes. Uh, the phrase statutes and ordinances is modified by his with capital H. There seems to be a progression from study to practice to teach. Uh, In the passage, the passage begins with four, implying a link with the preceding thought. Immediately before this passage we read, for in the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first and the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of of his God was upon him. In light of the, sorry, I'm gonna fix this guy. The underlying, and I did not oh, can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay Again, yeah, why the underlying phrase verse 10 may provide the reason why the good hand of the Lord was upon him now, can you think of maybe any other observations that you might see
5: it's, it was taking place in Israel okay yeah, so
0: in Israel, that's a, the who, what, when, where, and how, right? So that's the where. Okay? Anything else you might notice?
1: They each begin with for,
0: as, or had. Okay. The
1: subject is consistent okay. through So
0: that is a common, <coughs> so we could be fairly certain about that, right?
4: So the law of the Lord is a specific thing he's teaching. It's Mm -hmm. limited, it's not just anything. It's not just the law, it's the law of the Lord. That's good.
0: You guys remember that list of all the different, uh, so what you can do is remember this list here, connecting verbs, (coughs) verbs, nouns, patterns, contrast, comparisons. A lot of times it's helpful to just get that list out Right, and just kind of go through, go through it you know, with that verse and see what you have. So is that triggering any thoughts?
3: The, the verbs, because there's lots of different tenses, mm. you know, <coughs> infinitives, commands, you know, different things. So it looks to be, um, it's a completed, you know, it's a past. It, it's happened yeah. beforehand. He had, so, had, had devoted, or had set, yeah. had, pre- had prepared. It's not, he was preparing, or he was, it wasn't a current present thing, it's yeah. something that had happened in the past.
0: Yeah, and headset is something that happened in the past over a duration, <coughs> Does that makes sense. And there's different, that's something else, Is like was mm-hmm. it a
3: once at one a, a time instance? instance or is this an ongoing? Yeah. A lot of those things you can get by looking yeah.
0: at the verbs. So that's why, if you guys ever learn a foreign language like Spanish or German or something like that, sometimes when you just kind of understand some basic, some basic grammar, like this is in the past tense, mm-hmm. right? I mean, who is the main actor? You know, Ezra was the actor, right? He wasn't acted upon, he was the actor. This would be the active <coughs> voice. So a lot of those things, I mean, it is like very meticulous, right? This is not the, the, the exciting part. You know, sometimes if you want to just kind of jump to a sermon or c- conclusion, you can kind of rush past this, okay? So that's kind of what the text does say. And then you might get into uh, what the text does not say. Uh, The text does not say to teach his statutes and ordinances to Israel, but in Israel. uh, In the original Hebrew, there were no capital letters, so technically his could be translated his. Uh, The text does not disclose the exact identity of his audience. It merely discloses the location. Okay, so those are things that it does not say. Is there anything else that the text doesn't say that you might expect it to say?
3: Like we were talking about the the commas, but is, I mean, did they have punctuation? They
0: did have punctuation.
3: So that's kind of the translational yeah. thing is where we put the a lot of the punctuation? Mm-hmm. And, uh, separating separate
0: Yeah. Anything else didn't it
4: doesn't say? Doesn't say how he's going to teach. He's going to impose. He's going to have this giant sermon with three thousand people. Mm-hmm. Or teaching, house to house. It doesn't say that the process is utilizing that in that text. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Anything else kind of stand out? Okay.
1: I don't know if this is just me reading into the grammar of the
5: mm-hmm.
1: NASB one a little bit too much, or I don't know, but the way NASB lays it out, it's almost like they chose the dividing halfway of a yeah. of a conjunction. A conjunctive and there instead of a trailing on the New King James of this and this
0: and this in
1: succession, and yeah. that changes the entire well, it changes the feel of what it means. Yeah, and that would
0: be a better observation about what it says versus what it does not say,
1: right? Like, yeah, that's so true. here would be
0: something like uh, it does not say, say for, for Ezra said his mind right, says it set his heart. And the reason why I make that observation is kind of interesting. Like, how is heart usually understood in a modern context, right? What you feel, What you feel, right? And we would think set your mind on it. So, it doesn't say set his mind. So that might be something to kind of look into, right? What was their understanding of the heart?
2: The heart
1: definitely meant something different or in the Bible, well, there's evidence in the Bible to support that. Yeah. There's a difference say, between think, yeah, the heart talk about Go now. with your heart. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> in a, today's context, might be a little bit different. So that's sometimes when you use the what it does not say, you are trying to filter out maybe some modern understandings that we might have, OK? So then you kind of get into, so listen, what it says, what it does not say. Then something that I do. Um, It's just basically a block diagram. I prefer this than actually the Grammar Nerd sentence diagram. Uh, Those things are like algebra equations, if you ask (laughs) me. Um, But all that this is supposed to do is it basically kind of shows you what modifies what in the sentence, Okay. And so I have poor Ezra, has his heart, and then you kind of have a series of what we call infinitives or adverbs, right? So it's in his heart and this to study, to practice, to teach, right? And then over here you kind of have another category: the law of the Lord, and then it, right? And then his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so uh, um, I think a couple of things that kind of stand out here is notice the it. Whenever you see a preposition, sometimes it's like what does the preposition point back to? Does that make sense? In this case, it seems to point back to the law of the Lord. Um, notice it's an it, not a he or she. And then you have statutes and ordinances seem to be kind of like parallel to each other. So you can actually see from this, with the law of the Lord and it, you can see why the NIV might make that decision to break it down <coughs> into two general activities, right? So, I mean, just, you know, these translators are pretty smart people, right? So they they obviously have their reasons. So you can see that. You see that statutes and ordinances seem to be parallel to each other. Um, So yeah, this is something that is pretty easy to do. I mean, I just get on a Word document and just try to arrange it in kind of a logical structure. Does that make sense? And again, these are just little tools. You know, just like using three different translations, reading the passage over and over again, going through that list, kind of block diagramming this. All of this is to help you try to generate thoughts um, to help you observe it. Okay. Any questions about this? Again, this is technical, but a
5: study. It's so much fun. <laughs> okay. Thank it you. You're like it's kind of hard work, but it's fun. Don't yeah. like. Yeah. Don't sell it, you it short. You're right. Exactly. You're right. You're right. Okay. It's fun stuff.
0: It is. And, and when you really get into it, it, it is invigorating. I mean, it's just great discovery. And, and this is something, if you ever want to learn how to do this, we can always get lunch together. And I can kind of do a few. Well, I mean, actually, I could just
5: do it now. Lunch? Well, <laughs> yes. What? So yeah. Actually, open the door.
1: Okay, this is, um, we just got an upgrade here. <laughs>
3: Let's go. One, one thing that reminds me of uh, teaching is like uh, with the observation stage is that a lot of times um, we want to, we always want to skip to the end. Like when I'm at, I teach high school geometry and we just have things that we assume are there. We always fill in the blanks with our brains. And so a lot of times teaching kids to look really close, and is that really there? The thing that you think is there, is that really there? Do you know that that's really there? And like really paying attention to details and look closely, are these things exactly identical? And so that observation stage is really helpful to like, I know what I think is there, um, to look and see if it's really there and be okay, like, oh, I I don't see it there, so what does that mean? See something there I didn't see
4: before. Okay. Looks like i can move this over a little bit. We find that we do study of Mark sometimes where we were going through these texts and, the, and Jesus will like do a healing and we'll say, What does the text say with the observation part? And they'll say, Well, he's God. Well, hold on a second. What does it say? And it says that he healed. So that's the observation. Mm-hmm. And then when it jumped to interpretation, which if that was true, that everyone who heals is God, then Paul is God. And Peter is a god, and the apostles are gods, and so we need to let the text unfold unpack its argument step by step. not mm-hmm. jump ahead.
0: Yeah, let me see if I can I wish there was a way I can expand this. I'm not sure how to do this. Okay, okay. well, use your binoculars. Well,
5: <laughs>
0: there you go. Mm. Okay. Let me compress it a little bit. More, sorry. <laughs> this is impromptu, it wasn't planned. So it's been doing Okay. So the text is: finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay? So we're going to try to diagram this. Um, so, um, I think, I'll just kind of show you, walk you through what I do. So it says, Finally Brothers, and then I have, I'm gonna start here, whatever is true, and then I got another whatever, right? So I'll put the whatever underneath this. Got another whatever here. Yes, one. Yes, one. Oh, yeah. There's so a whatever. It's I was testing you. Good job. Good job. <laughs> good job. <laughs> it's a good test. Good test. You guys are getting That's this. Your You're nailing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever is commendable. Okay. And then you kind of have if there's any excellence. So you see how I'm just kind of you, know, you can kind of see the symmetry in that, right? If anything. Then you have like the main verb. So I might even do like main verb over here, Yeah, you know, think about these things and it seems to be like a well actually I might, so you can kind of go back here, you need to think about these things or you know if these things are true then you think about these things. I mean there's different ways you can kind of do it. Would you guys make any adjustments to this? I mean, clearly, I mean, this this block is all together, right? And this block is all together, and this block is all together. And I kind of so. like
1: the extension of anything because it says, if there is any excellence, but then it goes, if there is anything, that's almost, it's like a punctuation on anything there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I that's the way I'm reading it in my head, but
0: it might be wrong, you know? Yeah. I mean, you might be able to make a case of, of Maybe taking this block over here. Yeah, maybe kind of switching this. And moving all these guys over. So it's more parallel with what is over here. so that the excellence and worthy of praise parallels all this, right? Mm-hmm. And, if it meets, and if it meets all these criteria, mm-hmm. then you think about these things. Um, yeah, so you see, like, just the whole exercise of kind of playing with it, thinking through it, and, and you guys can you know, make, uh, a lot of this is up for debate, right? So I just kind of came up with this. You guys might want to say, well, actually, it should be this versus this. But even having those thoughts helps you really, you know, digest what the passage is saying. Does that make sense? you want to say something, Scott? I
3: was just wondering, so like one observational question is I would look and see if there's, um, if there's any conjunctions of and or or. So like if it mm-hmm. says and, it has to be all of those things for us to think about. Them. If it says yeah. or, it only needs to be one of
0: those. Yes. Yeah. So when you see if, you know it's a conditional <laughs> sentence, right? Here's a condition, here's the action, right? You have six whatever statements, two conditional statements. Whose address is Brothers? You can also do whatever is true. It does not say whatever is lawful. I mean, there might be some other things that are brought up that you would expect to be in there that aren't. It does not say. Think, of, says think about these things instead of do these things. So, those, so that's kind of just, you know, the, this is just another tool to kind of help you really kind of deep dive into a text. Okay? So we'll go back to, okay, so kind of moving on. Um, Another one is just kind of a basic outline. Create a block diagram, you can look at um, why the good hand of the Lord was upon Ezra, because he set his heart to study the law, he set his heart to practice it, and he set his heart to teach his statutes and ordinances. Okay, so for those of you who like to arrange things that way, this could be a very helpful exercise. And then you have some questions about the text. Okay, so why does the text say in Israel and not to Israel? Why the emphasis on geographic location? Does his refer to Ezra, God, or someone else? Um, what is the difference, if any, between statutes and ordinances? Should study and observe be grouped together, NIV, or should they be separated like the NASB and New James? Can you see any other questions that you might have about um, this passage? Things you might want to explore?
1: The NIV is different from the other two in that it says teaching decrees and laws and not okay. statutes and ordinances. I'm just curious why the terminology Okay.
0: So why does change. the NIV use decrees and laws versus statutes and ordinances? Might yeah. that be a legitimate question.
4: I just Okay. Other thoughts? What does the four refer back to? Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. The four, the very first word. Uh Just giving parents some sort of reason. Yeah. What's what's the the answer to the question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another
0: one maybe what occasioned Ezra to be in Israel? (laughs) Right, who, what, when, where, why? So a lot of these, these are just questions, like when you come up with a question, you know that there's further research required. You know, maybe reading the rest of the book to try to answer that question, or perhaps go into commentaries. Uh, looking at a Bible dictionary for background. Like one thing would be, um, I'd be curious about teaching in Israel. Was it a sermon? Was it like a dialogue format? I mean, what did teaching look like in that context? Well, it's interesting, as you keep on reading, um, in fact, uh, let me show you this. Turn, open up your Bible to Ezra chapter. Now this is this is Nehemiah, right? Seven ten. I should know that. Ezra I think the other one would be where else is Ezra mentioned in the Bible?
1: Nehemiah.
0: Yeah. Or who, who is Ezra? What do we know about Ezra? Yeah. Yeah. For Ezra said, "His long Yeah. Set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do and teach the statutes in Israel, and then I think in. Um, In Nehemiah, he shows up again. Let me see if I can find him real quickly. Yeah, so Ezra um, shows up in Nehemiah chapter 8. And the people, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest, right? That's interesting. We didn't hear that Ezra is a priest, but it's mentioned here. Uh, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women. That's interesting, right? Men and women. And all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from them, read it, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. So one question is, is what's referred to in Ezra chapter seven the same event that we see here, or is this a different event? And then it says in verse four, um, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Now some people standing beside him. And then look at verse eight. They read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Now that's really interesting. Mm. So they would read it and then there were other people who were giving the sense. So does that mean they translated it? Does that mean that they exposited it? I mean, so there's a lot of questions there. So you kind of go from this whole event of Ezra reading the law, you find this cross-reference and Ezra and Nehemiah were kind of a package deal, right? And there's even more questions that kind of come up. Does that make sense? So, as you kind of deep dive into Ezra as a, as a man and this idea of teaching, you see another clear example of this, and so one passage might explain the other. But we'd have to figure out, was that the same event or not? What we see in Ezra 7.10, was that different than what we read in Nehemiah? Okay, other questions?
5: I. I and interested in knowing what is going on more broadly in Israel, I mean, we, we touched on that, that, yeah. that verse, but what's uh-huh. the significance? I wonder where Israel is in their uh-huh. in their no. cycle of following the Lord and coming back and abandoning the Lord. And
0: Yeah, so that, when did this event
5: happen? Yeah.
0: Okay, so, you know, from the connection, we know it would be after the exile. He was a contemporary with Nehemiah. And those things are often answered by looking at all those books, you know, those two books together. Okay, yeah, so you see how like one question begets another question which begets another question and as you find answers you get more questions, but that's just part of the joy of discovery. Okay, is this making sense for you guys? So, you know, as you recall, um, a four step procedure for proper Bible study is receive the word as it stands, read and observe what it says, Reflect and contemplate the passage so as to derive its meaning, then relate the passage to your life, okay? So why is it important that we approach the text in this order? For instance, what is the danger of reflecting on the meaning of a passage without reading it or relating it, uh, without first reflecting on its meaning? So why why do you have to go through this order here? Why do you need to read before you reflect and relate
5: Nothing to reflect
0: on if you haven't read
2: it. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. Or if you haven't read it carefully, you're, you may be misapplying what mm-hmm. you think it says. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may be applying what you think it says, but you're misapplying what it actually says.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're jumping to conclusions. Uh, other thoughts?
1: I think the uh, receive is really important because it's your disposition of coming to the Word. Mm-hmm. Am I over it or is it over me? Or mm-hmm. am I here to be instructed by you or am I here to impose them my
0: Yeah, it's the posture, right? Remember, we wanted, you know the difference between objective versus subjective knowledge? Mm-hmm. Objective is just as a stance. You have an objective, this is just what it is. Subjective is when you start interpreting it and what you feel and what you think. Which is really how most of our society works, right? To me, this is what it means. This is what the Bible means to me. As opposed to objective, the question is, what does the Bible mean? Okay, so to keep a submissive posture to scripture, you have to look at it objectively. Okay, Um, so why is the process of observation difficult for many people?
2: Because it's not about the Okay. They have to take themselves out of the picture at work too to mm-hmm.
0: see what the text actually is. Yeah, they have to take themselves out of the picture, which is difficult to do. Because it's,
2: really it's work. It's work? As much fun as it can be, as Naomi pointed out, it's still a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's
0: tedious. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like You almost feel like a lawyer. Yeah. Right? I to read things very carefully. I think there's a
3: sense in which, too, we're. Uh, we're afraid that something that we believe deeply is wrong and that we don't like for that to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And so when I read scripture, I have this long history of what I've come to believe and it's if so, if I come across a text and I and it, it you know, observing it and asking does it really say that is mm-hmm. sometimes it's a can be make you nervous, like mm-hmm. this. Uh, this really challenges something. Yeah. And um, we, I think our first tendency is to like make it fit because we we, we don't want to change because it, it undoes all of this. Mm-hmm. <coughs> have to admit that we were wrong and yeah, all right, changing your theology is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's one big hurdle to observation mm-hmm. is that if we come believing we've answered certain questions and we're, we're not really mm-hmm. asking questions of the text yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. to really observe, you have to say, I wonder what this says. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong about mm-hmm. something.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That's really... Yeah. It's like a... It's not really an intellectual thing. It's more of a heart
0: yeah. issue a lot of times. Yeah, that's a good point. Other thoughts about why it's just hard to just observe. I think we
5: naturally that society we just thought that's kind of natural
2: to where we can give you know it's natural to just jump to the next
5: step. Yeah. It's it's I think it's natural and it's hard to slow down.
0: Yeah, I think there's a sense where we want the Bible to be some sort of panacea, like we just want the pill, we don't want to know how it works.
2: Yeah.
0: You no, know, I, I want to read the Bible to feel good. I want my chicken soup for the soul. I want to feel inspired for the day. And to actually look at the, and so I think a lot of times people just have a very passive spirituality. Like they want to be zapped or have some sort of experience. And to say that you actually need to work to understand the Bible is like, well, I don't want to work, right? So I'll just say it, some people are just lazy have a lazy approach to christianity where they want to be passively uh changed instead of doing the hard work of change and transformation yeah the, will the microwave mentality yeah that's exactly it did it now yeah, no.
5: i mean and i think uh, like believing the best about us yeah like <laughs> we there are times when i approach scripture and i want to get to the action because i want to change like there's this mm-hmm. sense where like I want to get to the application, yeah. because I I want there to be mm-hmm. peace in my home, and yeah. I want my neighbors to know Jesus. Like and I and I, yeah. I think I embrace the action step. Yeah. And I mean part of that is good. I think it's again made me to rule over the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm, yeah. I'm trying to implement that. But I I also wonder too if there's like a cultural sense of like of doing of doing is good, instead of and and me forgetting the knowing, like n- knowing who yeah. the Lord is, mm-hmm. actually allows that the, the meaningful transformation t- to happen.
0: Yeah, or even knowing what He wants you to do, it's kind of like, you know, my, you know, we have a certain child where he does poorly on some tests because he doesn't read the questions carefully. Mm-hmm. So he might be doing something, but he's, but if he start doing something before you clearly understand what you're supposed to do, you know, and so th- there is a patience, like, and, and I think you saw that with Ezra, right, how he set his heart to study the law and then to practice it and then to teach it. And I think it's significant that he does it before he, pra- before he teaches it. He doesn't mm-hmm. study it, then teach it, and then do it. So there there is a, um, but, but that's the thing, like, you know, knowledge kind of builds up over time, right? And you guys, I would like to think you're well-taught. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but when you kind of like teach yourself, especially in the context of maybe in a Bible study we're going to lead other people to it, um, really having a firm command of the text is
4: important. Are you going to say something? Well, the, the last part of your question is, what's the danger of relating it without first reflecting on its meaning? Sort of two, maybe two tendencies. One is to just read quickly and apply it. The other is a smaller group, but mm-hmm. sometimes some a Powerful group yep. where they want to dig into the nitty gritty of every of, of the text and the grammar and all, the, all those things yeah. and the theology, but they don't actually apply it very well in their own lives. So yeah. you have like really, really nasty people good theology. Yeah, uh, and and that's another kind of danger. You think following Jesus is knowing a whole bunch of stuff yeah. and then being the gatekeeper for everybody else, mm-hmm. but you're not actually applying uh, his teaching to your life in a way that produces the sort of. Mm-hmm. Kingdom of God living that He wants among His people and in His world. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. For you t- you, you're so f- I mean, one danger with like deep diving into one text is you can lose the bigger picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can lose the forest through the trees. That often happens too. So yeah, I mean, and the whole thing is hard. You know, the the big picture, small picture. I mean, you know, it's a, a lifetime, and you, you still won't master it, but you can learn a lot. Um. What are some attitudes, habits, or perspectives that can interfere with faithful observations? Pride, okay. How so? <coughs> I
2: think you already know what it says. Yeah, I already right, got it this new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
5: I think as a society, more like we say what we think instead of asking good questions of some of someone else yeah i i think we're quicker to give our opinion
0: to then you get opinions
5: yeah Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. (coughs) i've i've fallen victim to this habit i or at least it's it's been something that you kind of need to work through and ask if that's happened too much and that's where if you um say your quiet time is studying the book <coughs> at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, you're tired and you've missed as a result of that. Okay. That, that could be a detrimental habit that would interfere with faithful observance, and I just, yeah. I've done that. It's, it's, so you, I, don't, you don't give them I I <laughs> reprioritize <energy. Yeah. laughs> is what I did.
3: That's good. I think, uh, too, if there's a particular um, yeah, author or teacher or preacher, and you hear a sermon about a text, and like they've given their interpretation, it can get in the way of yeah. your own observations, oh, yes. right? Because oh, yeah. you're yeah. like, well, that's not
0: <laughs> what so-and-so <laughs> yeah. said. <that> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, where is that? I, I'll just say it. I have tremendous respect for John MacArthur and his ministry, but his notes in the Study Bible are not the answer key. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying um, They're great and they're wonderful, but they're not the answer key. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
4: A, ha- a bad habit is skipping over the hard parts and just moving on mm-hmm. or reinterpreting it in line of the text. I Think like James 2 and James says that you're justified by works. When we read that we say, well, Paul says you're, you can't be justified by works. And then you just move on. It clearly can't mean this. Yeah, it can't mean that. Yeah. But you never actually sit with the text to figure out what it does mean in its context. And it's yeah. actually, I think it is clear, if you'll allow it to be clear, but you just skip over because you say Paul says something different and you move on. Yeah. And we can do it with a lot of hard text and there are answers. We just are doing the to figure out what they are. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So And, and that and maybe another one related to that is over-cross-referencing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So instead of just seeing what the text says, you look at what all these other texts say. And the problem is if you like over-cross-reference, then what is your foundational text where you actually observe what it says? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I'm going to uh, kind of skip ahead here to um, the story of the student, the fish, awesome. and Agassi by the student. You guys know this one? This is great. So, I picked this up. I don't know where I even got this from. Did I it, it? Oh, I did. From Dr. Mayhew, so in his book. So I'll go ahead and read this to you. It's worth, it's worth listening. It's more than 15 years ago that I entered a laboratory. Laboratory of Professor Aga. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Agassi, okay? I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but we'll call him Agassi. And told him I enrolled my name in the scientific school as a student of natural history. He asked me a few questions about my object in coming, my antecedents generally, the mode in which I afterwards proposed to use the knowledge that I might acquire. And finally, whether I wished to study any special branch. To the latter I replied that while I wished to be well grounded in all departments of zoology, I purposed to devote myself especially to insects. When do you wish to begin, he asked. Now, I replied, this seemed to please him. And with a very energetic, very well, he reached from a shelf a huge jar of specimens in yellow alcohol. Take this fish, he said, and look at it. We call it, hum, let's say, hemulin. By and by, I will ask you what you have seen. With that, he left me. But in a moment, he returned with explicit instructions as the care of the object entrusted to me. No man is fit to be a naturalist, he said, who does not know how to take care of specimens. I was to keep the fish before me in a tin tray and occasionally moisten the surface with alcohol from the jar, always taking care to replace the stopper tightly. Those were not the days of ground glass stoppers and elegantly shaped exhibition jars. All the old students will recall the huge necklace glass bottles with their leaky wax-besmeared corks half-eaten by insects and begrimed with cellar dust. Entomology was a cleaner science than ichthyology, but the example of the professor who had unhesitatingly plunged to the bottom of the jar to produce the fish was infectious. And though this alcohol had a very ancient and fish-like smell, I really dared not to show any aversion within the sacred precincts and treated the alcohol as though it were pure water. Still, I was conscious of the passing feeling of disappointment for gazing at a fish did not commend itself to an ardent entomologist. My friends at home, too, were annoyed when they discovered that no amount of eau de Cologne would drown the perfume which haunted me like a shadow. In 10 minutes, I had seen all that could be seen in that fish and started in search of the professor, who had, st- who had however, left the museum. When I returned, after lingering over some of the odd animals stored in the upper apartment, my specimen was dry all over. I dashed the fluid over the fish, as to as if to resuscitate it from the fainting fit, and looked with anxiety for a return of the normal sloppy appearance. This little excitement over nothing was to be done, but return to the steadfast gaze at my mute companion. Half an hour passed, an hour, another hour, the fish began to look loathsome. I turned it over and around, looked at it in the face, ghastly from behind, beneath, above, sideways, at a three-quarters view, just as ghastly. I was in despair at an earlier, an early hour I concluded that lunch was necessary, so with infinite relief the fish was carefully replaced in the jar and I was, for an hour, and for an hour I was free. On my return I learned from Professor Agassi had been at the museum, but had gone and would not return for several hours. My fellow students were busy, were too busy to be disturbed by continued conversation. Slowly, I drew forth that hideous fish, and with a feeling of desperation again looked at it. I might not be—I might not use a magnifying glass, instruments of all—I might not use a magnifying glass, instruments of all kinds were interdicted. My two hands, my two eyes, and the fish—it seemed at most limited field. I pushed my finger down its throat to feel how sharp its teeth were. I began to count the scales in the different rows until I was convinced that. That was nonsense. At last a happy thought struck me. I would draw the fish, and now, with surprise, I began to discover new features in the creature. Just then, the professor returned. That is right, he said. A pencil is one of the best eyes. I am glad to notice, too, that you keep your specimen wet and your bottle corked. With these encouraging words, he added, well, what is it like? He listened attentively to my brief rehearsal of the structure of the parts whose names were still unknown to me. The fringed gill, arches, a movable operculum? Operculum. Huh? Oh, thank you, Will. Okay, the pores of head, fleshy lips, the lidless eyes, the lateral line, the spinous uh, spinous fin, the fork tail, the compressed and arched body. When I had finished, he waited as if expecting more. And then, with an air of disappointment, you have not looked very carefully. Why? he continued more earnestly. Had, haven't you seen one of the most conspicuous features of the animal, which is as plainly before your eyes as the fish itself? Oops. Uh, look again, look again. And he left me to my misery. I was piqued, I was mortified. Still more of that wretched fish? And now I set myself to my task with a will and discovered one new thing after another. Until I saw just how the professor's critis- how just the professor's criticism had been. The afternoon passed quickly, and then, towards its close, the professor inquired, "Do you see it yet?" "No," I replied. "I am certain I do not, but I see how little I saw before." "That is next best," he said earnestly. "But I won't hear you now. Put away your fish and go home. Perhaps you will be ready with a better answer in the morning. I will examine you before you look at the fish." This was disconcerting. Not only must I think of my fish all night studying without the object before me, what this unknown but most visible feature might be, but also, without reviewing my new discoveries, I must give an exact account of them the next day. I had a bad memory, so I walked home by the Charles River in a distracted state with my two perplexities. The cordial greeting from the professor the next morning was reassuring. Here was a man who seemed to be quite anxious as I, should see for myself what he saw. Do you perhaps mean I asked, that the fish has symmetrical size and paired organs? He is, uh, is thoroughly pleased, of course, of course, repaid the wakeful hours of the previous night. After he had, uh, had discoursed most happily and enthusiastically, as he always did, upon the importance of this point, I ventured back to what to do next. Oh, look at your fish, he said, and let me again with my own devices. In a little more than an hour, he returned and heard my new catalog. That is good, that is good, he repeated, but that is not all, he could go on. And so, for three long days, he placed that fish before our eyes, forbidding me to look at anything else or to use any artificial aid. Look, 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 was his repeated injunction. This was the best entomological lesson I ever had, a lesson whose influence has extended to the details of every subsequent study a legacy the professor had left to me as he had left it to many others, of inestimable value, which we could not buy, with which we cannot part. Year afterwards, some of us were amusing ourselves with chalking outlandish beasts upon the museum blackboard. We drew prancing starfishes, frogs in mortal combat, hydra-headed worms, stately crawfishes, uh, standing on their tails, bearing aloft umbrellas and grotesque fishes with gaping mouths and staring eyes. The, pr- the professor came in shortly after, and was amused at, uh, as any at our experiment, and he looked at the fishes. Hamulans, every one of them, he said, Mr. Blank drew them. True to this day, by attempt to fish, I can draw nothing but hamulans. The fourth day, a fish, a second fish of the same group was placed beside the first, and I was bidden to point out the resemblances and differences between the two. Another and another followed, until the entire family lay before me, and a whole legion of jars covered the table and surrounding surrounding shelves. The odor had become a a pleasant perfume, and even now the sight of an old six-inch worm eaten cork brings me fragrant memories. The whole group of millions was, was brought in review, and whether engaged upon the dissection of the internal organs, the preparation and examination of the bony framework, or the description of the various parts, the training in the method of observing facts and their orderly arrangement was ever accompanied by the urgent exhortation not to be content with them. Facts are stupid things, he would say, until brought into connection with some general law. At the end of the eight months, it was almost reluctance that I left these friends and turned to insects. But what I gained by this outside experience has been of greater value than years of later investigation in my favorite groups the same kind of prolonged pondering of scriptures will eventually pay even longer dividends stretching into eternity. So I think uh, when you look at observations, that's kind of like, kind of a good object lesson, right? The more you stare, the more you look, the more you compare, uh, the the easier it is to kind of get the full texture of, of, of scripture. Okay, any questions about that? So, I mean, my challenge to you is maybe pick a pick a passage and decide, you know, you're going to try to dissect it, make some observations, you know, take that list and just do your best to observe the fish. Okay. Any final thoughts or questions? Okay. Scott, we got you next week, right? Lesson five. Lesson five. I think it's commentaries. Or maybe it's, it might be word studies actually. I'll have to go observe. <laughs> okay, see. All right, well, let me pray. Well, Father, I do thank you for these brothers and sisters, and I pray that this will be just a vital lesson for them, that they learned a new skill today about how to observe the text, and I pray that you will use this skill to just help the text come alive. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.